Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series, and I'm your host, Maddie Gobo, the events manager here at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. Um, We're so glad you're here listening today. If you are unfamiliar with Skylight Books, we're an independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Right now, we're open every day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and I think we're going to be expanding our hours very soon, so stay tuned to our social media for updates. Uh, The holiday season is starting very early this year, so we encourage you to get out there and buy your books early. Um, You know, everything is haywire right now and delays are rampant, so the earlier you can start your shopping, the better. All right, so I'm so excited today to welcome two authors onto our podcast to discuss a debut novel. Our featured writers today are Madeline Stevens and Jacqueline Stolis. Jacqueline Stolis is the author of Eden Dale. It's her first novel, um, and she's going to be in conversation with Madeline. So I'm going to go ahead and read their bios, and then I'm going to let them take it away. Jacqueline Stolis is a writer living and teaching in Los Angeles. She holds an MFA in fiction from New York University, where she was a Writers in the Public Schools Fellow. Jacqueline has won fellowships to attend the New York State Summer Writers Institute, the Community of Writers, and the Breadloaf Writers Conference. Her short fiction has appeared or is forthcoming in the Atticus Review, Bodega Magazine, Tiny Spoon, No Tokens, and more. Edendale is her first novel. Madeline Stevens is a writer from Boring, Oregon, currently based in Los Angeles. I love that we're both uh, Oregonians named Madeline. It's very exciting to me. Uh, Her first novel, Devotion, is out now from Echo Press in the US and Faber and Faber in the UK. It has so far been translated into German, Portuguese, and Spanish, and is forthcoming in French, Chinese, and Italian. That's fantastic. The Spectator once described it as very dark and sexy in places like a Leonard Cohen song in a secondhand designer dress. Madeline holds an MFA from Columbia University, and her work has been published in The Guardian, Crime Reads, Fault Line, and more. She teaches creative writing to adults and children through Catapult and Ritopia Lab. Jacqueline and Madeline, welcome to the program. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, Maddie. And thank you for this awesome podcast. It's been a wonderful um, COVID companion for me because um, I've been missing time and skylight. Um, that makes me so happy. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, well, do you want to start us off with a short reading, Jacqueline? I do. Um, I am reading from Edendale. I'm reading chapter 11, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background. I don't think you need to know a ton about the novel to understand this little isolated incident or argument that's happening here. Um, but you, you do need to know that we are in Los Angeles. Um, it's fire season. Um, and the novel is um, about five roommates, four humans and one cat. Um, it alternates between their points of views. Um, they live together in a house that shouldn't be holding all of them. It's a, it's a two bedroom um, with a terrible Jack and Jill bathroom. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's quite a situation for them. Um, and this chapter is from Lyle's point of view. Um, and his girlfriend, Egypt, is in the chapter two, um, and they live together with these two other roommates named Megan and Ropey and their cat, Captain America. Um, and I think that is all you need to know. Okay. <clears throat> 11. In the quivering blue twilight, Lyle paused on the front walk, listening to his roommates' voices float up from behind the house. Here was a happy screech, there a snort, and from the brush, pleasant nighttime chirps, croaks, and rustles. Still, his chest remained tight, his shoulders clenched. Like a child whose bed ebbs and rolls after a long day of playing in the waves, Lyle held the pace of his desk even when he was away from it. He had to remember who was on line six. He had to order dinner, poached chicken, no skin, brown rice, exactly 45 minutes before the agent would want it. Whenever he began to drift, Lyle felt the urgent tug of an email unanswered or a studio head on hold. The front door opened. Lyle called Egypt, peering out from behind it. Lyle felt discovered, a fool. Hi, he said. Hi, thinking of coming in tonight? Lyle followed Egypt inside and up the stairs. As they ascended, he studied their heels, cracked and white, in the fringe of dark hair growing above her red her right ankle. It was a small relief whenever he discovered a patch of her body that he didn't want to put in his mouth. His desire for her normally so intense that life outside her crawled with discomfort. In their room, he set down his backpack and pried off his shoes. Egypt sat on the foot of the bed. She sucked her cheeks, her lips pursing. He knew that look. She was thinking, waiting. What's going on, asked Lyle. Egypt's fist clenched and unclenched. I told myself I'd give you some time to unwind. Lyle placed his shoes in the closet and knelt on the carpet in front of her, taking her fists in his hands. What, Lyle asked again. Egypt sighed. I hate ambushing you right when you get home, Lyle waited. It's the bed again, she said. Lyle nodded. He thought they'd solve this one already. It seemed so simple to him. They needed a bed, so he'd purchased one. But Egypt didn't like simple. She liked to tangle things up and then writhe around in the mess. She liked to be inconsolable. And this worked for him. He liked to console. Lyle released Egypt's hands and moved down to her feet, rolling each clammy toe between his fingers and thumb. He wanted desperately to take off his suit. He only owned the one and, had felt, and felt he'd soon sweat through his shirt. What kind of woman doesn't have a bed, asked Egypt. The word woman sounded ridiculous to him. Lyle thought of himself as boy and her as girl, picturing them as hairless twins curled together in a pink womb. Not you, he said. 
the weak one. You have a bed. We have a bed. I have a place to sleep in exchange for sex. That's almost prostitution. We've got a bit more going on than sex, babe. If things changed between us, said Egypt, I wouldn't have a place to sleep. Suddenly, the state of their bed seemed atrocious to him. Sheet flung one way, comforter dragging onto the floor. Lyle dropped Egypt's feet and made the bed around her. As he tugged, folded, and smoothed, he considered telling her that if she wanted some ownership over the bed, perhaps she could make it when she got up each afternoon. He lifted the mattress, tucked the sheet, and chose not to. I don't make the bed, Egypt said, because I have never made my bed. It isn't necessary. It's an imaginary chore that you think needs to get done, but actually doesn't. Lyle set to work on the corners. He was proud of his ability to make a bed so correctly. He imagined Egypt complimenting his precision. If I made the bed, she continued, it would just be another service I'm performing to earn my place in it each night. Lyle said nothing, not wanting to reveal that the way she argued disgusted him. Immature, self-satisfied, and like the hair on her ankle, a small relief. You don't need me, said Egypt. I do, not financially. When he didn't respond, sometimes he didn't have a response. She was small and lovely. He liked the smell of her mouth. It was only a bed. She complained again that he didn't need her. He put his head in her lap. I need to put my head in, in your lap, he wanted to say. I need you to let me by the bed. What kind of woman, Egypt started again, then trailed off. By now, the glow of twilight was nearly gone and their walls, his dresser and hers had all faded to gray. Lyle looked into the mirrored closet doors. There they were, a couple in bed. It was a good bed. He had read so many reviews and spoken to half a dozen salespeople about the way that her legs got restless, tingly, around four or five, and she had to pace through the house for a while before she could get back to sleep. He had worked hard and found the right bed for her. Egypt sniffled. He felt her expand and contract with each angered breath. With every trivial argument, he's digging towards some other deeper source of discontent. Selfish, he didn't want her to find it. And that's chapter 11. Thank you, Jacqueline. That was beautifully read. Um, I am really happy that that's the chapter that you, you chose to introduce us to this, this amazing novel with. Um, because I feel like so much book, as Maddie mentioned, are so relevant for this year. Um, with the wildfires that are happening in the background of um, these characters' lives. And I also feel like this chapter kind of encapsulates this um, stuck at home with your partner and having like stupid arguments uh, all the time um, about things you don't need to be arguing about, but you think that there's something embedded in there. Um, so I was, I was happy to hear this, this chapter. Um, I want to know a little bit about the process of writing this book. This is your first novel. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I'm so, I'm so glad, first of all, that, um, it feels, the book feels relevant because it's so funny. Novels take so long. Um, and I started writing this. It's hard to pinpoint when I started writing this because I think so much writing, um, for me at least, is kind of like waiting around in the dark, um, writing scenes, um, seeing if they amount to anything. 
Um, and then eventually when some kind of story is discovered, kind of pushing towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think a lot of this, the earliest material for this book is like from my senior year in college, um, <laughs> which was a while ago. Um, so it's astonishing that anything could be relevant. Um, and I think, um, it is, but it is, it's, it's almost, it's like a, an absurdly relevant novel, kind of just fantastically. Um, and so I think the first character that appeared was Megan. Um, and very early drafts of this book were called Megan Goes to Mars. Um, and, um, this doesn't spoil anything. No one goes to outer space in this book. They stay in Los Angeles. Um, they are battling wildfire, um, smelling air the whole time. Um, they are battling each other the whole time. Um, but no one goes to Mars. Um, but that was the novel I was trying to write. I was fascinated with the Mars One project, which is a real thing. Um, and back in 2012, um, they were um, having people audition to move to Mars permanently. Um, so I thought like, oh, I want a character who does that. And I, then I thought like, well, what kind of character would want to leave earth permanently? And I was like, well, maybe someone, um, with a really bad roommate situation. Um, (laughs) so that part didn't work out. Um, but the roommate stuck around. Um, and as I worked on this, um, I kind of had so many different iterations. Um, I wrote it after college when I was kind of um, bumming around LA. I mean, bumming, like working um, four or five different like odd jobs that paid minimum wage around LA um, and writing whenever I could. What do we call Um, Do we call that like gigging around LA? Yeah, when I was gigging around (laughs) LA. um, And then I also, I wrote it in grad school um, in New York. um, Kind of like remembering LA and idealizing LA. Um, and then I lived in New York after grad school, and then I I finished it back here in Los Angeles when I moved back. So this book has been like a place where I've like learned and experimented and kind of figured out what writing even is for um, I think like eight or nine years. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, I always how you talk about like writing in the dark. I always um, describe it to my students as you know you're driving in the dark with with headlights on but you can only see as far as the headlights go you have no idea what's beyond that yeah I remember very distinctly um when I figured out what the story was and so I don't know if that is the first draft or if like the three or four years before were also drafts um but it's yeah it's so hard to know how long you've been working on something and it's so hard to know how many books I've written while writing this (laughs) right right yeah Um, Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the characters themselves, because you've got, as you mentioned, you've got four people and you've also got Captain America. Um, The four people, we get kind of an equal weight given to all of the the roommates. And so I'm, I'm curious about like both your relationships with these people as author, you know, where they came from. And then also, um, just from a craft perspective, if it was hard for you to jump back and forth between four different perspectives? Um, Yes, absolutely, because writing is so hard. Um, And (laughs) I think there's so many to down to write. 
and I'm not writing any character. I'm writing this like stiff two-dimensional strange person that doesn't talk like a person. Um, they talk like, I don't know, Instagram or something. Um, <laughs> so yes, it was, it was hard. Um, but I don't think the four different perspectives made it or the, the five ish. I, you know, Captain America, he's in there. Um, but the, the four main perspectives, I don't think they made it harder for, for me than one perspective would have made it. Um, because, uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm like, my interest in writing comes from like my interest in characters. And, um, I think in empathy, not like in like nice, kind empathy, but really like the empathy where like, you're really just trying to see from other people's eyes. So like different point of views is really kind of like where I'm coming from and why I'm, I'm writing. Um, and I, and I loved, um, kind of trying to see the world out of four different sets of eyes. Um, and I loved all the contradictions I was finding in their perspectives. Um, also because like so much contradiction exists um, in like in my perspective and I feel like I don't see the world the same every day. So it, it's nice to sit down and be like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of having like a Lyle day. Um, <laughs> I'll write as Lyle right now. Because the four of them all have pretty different worldviews, I think, I hope, mm -hmm. um, if, I, if I've done okay. Um, and so they're, they're all my worldviews and they're all ways I might approach life um, depending on how I'm feeling. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm like a consistent person with a consistent personality. Um, I feel like I shift depending on like who I'm with or what the situation is. And Sure. And so I think like a lot of the ideas that I have about the world, I was kind of like playing with through each of the characters and it was fun to get to inhabit different people. So they're all a little bit you and also, yeah. you know, imagining what other people see the world as. Yes, definitely. Um, definitely. Um, Megan is the one who's most recognizably me. Um, like when I read the book I, I think like oh wow everyone's just gonna think like that, that's it she's Megan um, <laughs> because she's she's from New Hampshire which is where I'm from um, she's a perfectionist um, she um, she works with children she, she works with children um, when I started this book um, right after college see now I'm saying I started right after college instead of during college so who we're, knows we're full of contradictions right <laughs> um, I, I didn't know what I was going to do and I was working with children and I was also writing and I didn't know, I knew I, I needed more education to have um, the types of careers I wanted, but I didn't know if I wanted to be an elementary school teacher or a novelist. Um, and, and it's so hard to be both. Megan, yeah, it's hard to be both. Um, you, can, you can teach children and write fiction, which is what I've figured out for myself now, but to be a full elementary school teacher um, is, a, is a full all-consuming job and you, you mm -hmm. cannot do both. Um, I, I'm sure there's someone who does both and who's listening to this and being like, yeah, she's, <laughs> I do both. Um, <laughs> but um, that person also exists yeah. in my mind, like with everything <laughs> that I struggle with, there's always somebody back there being like, but why can't you just work harder? <laughs> So Megan is the version of me who who became a teacher. She's she's the if if the part of me who loves like like control and um, who who believes that life is something that like can be manipulated and won. If that part had won out, um, I would be teaching elementary school right now. I think. And and maybe auditioning to go to Mars. Maybe yes. <laughs> if the original storyline had been followed uh, through. The original storyline is a book. 
I want to read. And everyone says like, write the book you want to read. And I tried that. Um, and I'm just not, I'm not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe you're not qualified yet. Maybe this book still has to be written by you. There, there will be other books. We'll see. Possible. I hope or, so. Or you'll just grow out of that storyline. <laughs> not sure. Um, I want to mention, I also want to mention um, the city of Los Angeles um, feels, it feels like its own character in this book. Um, the perspective, I feel like, is embedded into all of the characters' perspective. This, the setting is so palpable and prevalent in it. Um, I wanted to hear a little bit about, you mentioned that you moved to California after college. I guess I just, I'm curious about your own history and relationship with the, with the city. Yeah. Um, so I went to college in D.C., and there I met a man who was a little bit older than me, um, who then moved to Los Angeles. Um, and so I did a lot of visiting him. Um, I say a man a little bit older than me. I was a freshman and he was a junior and then he graduated <laughs> before I did. That sounded very illicit. No, it was just, um, he was two years older than me. So while I was finishing up college in DC, um, my boyfriend was out in LA and I was visiting. Um, and pretty immediately once I started visiting, I started writing a lot of like little, like, I don't know, sketches of Los Angeles, like of corners um, or, or different, different places in LA. I was just doing a lot of describing. Um, I feel like because LA um, is so alien to other places I've lived. I, I grew up in New Hampshire and it's very like green um, and wet um, with rolling hills and forests. And then DC also um, kind of like, it's a little warmer, but very similar. And then to go from the East to the West Coast was really shocking for, for me. Um, and so I, I felt like I was writing or like trying to understand it through writing about it, but I also thought it was just so beautiful. I think LA is an incredibly beautiful city. Um, I love the light here. Um, I think there were there were just some really terrible drafts of this novel that were mostly about like the light through the eucalyptus trees. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was but all that, that is was happening. That is beautiful, though. <laughs> I would read that novel. That's okay. Um, so then I I um I moved here not right after college. I was I was really reluctant to follow my boyfriend here. I felt like that I got I got very scared of that power dynamic. So I erratically moved to Alaska right after college. <laughs> um, I was like, well, I can't, I love Los Angeles, but I can't follow a boyfriend to a city. Um, so I'll go to Alaska. Um, so I was in Alaska for like half the summer and then I moved to LA. Um, <laughs> Alaska seems like, like not only is that not anywhere close to the boyfriend, but also I'm, um, you picked like one of the harshest <laughs> and and strangest climates as well. I did. I thought um, I thought I could write about it. Um, I thought like, wow, Alaska is a fascinating place. It's a really beautiful place, and I love the outdoors. Um, I am a really avid hiker and backpacker, and Alaska is a great place to enjoy the outdoors. And I got a job working on like not like a cruise ship, cruise ship, like an adventure cruise. It was a very small cruise ship. Um, and I was like giving kayak tours of like below glaciers 
Um, but then I was, then I was also cleaning the toilet. So I was like doing everything because it was a tiny boat. And I thought like, wow, I would love to read something about like someone who does something like this. Um, but I, as many times as I've tried to write about Alaska, I'm again, like not that writer. Um, I want to write a big adventure story, but instead I'm just focused on like the little, the, like the intimate dynamics between people who are like quietly in their homes. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it's funny because some of the, some of the anxieties that you mentioned about like, well, but what would the power dynamic look like if I moved in with the boyfriend in LA? Um, a lot of that is also being explored in this text for sure. Um, I want to, so I want to talk for a minute about genre. This is coming out, um, it's one of the first couple of releases from Creature Publishing, who identifies as a feminist horror press, which is very exciting because those are two of my favorite words, horror and feminist. Um, but in, so there's moments in your novel that are just, they're just brutal. Um, but each of these moments, they're, they're not just realistic. They're almost, it's like the horror of the everyday is how I would describe um, your novel. And I guess I'm curious, as you were writing it, you know, when you were in the middle of this process, did you realize that you were writing something that could be read as horror? Or were you just kind of dealing with darker things in life? I feel like it's, I, I keep um, mentioning how I have very little control of what's going on on the page. Um. <laughs> None of us do on it. I mean, if we're being honest, like afterwards, you can lie about it and, and say, oh, yeah, that was definitely intentional. But I feel like it's it's more of an altered state than anything. I am. I'm so interested in horror um, and I read a ton of it and I'm so interested in science fiction and fantasy. Um, and then I think when I write, um, I end up being able to incorporate like the dread um, or the gore into my writing, but it, it always ends up being pretty grounded in reality. Um, I definitely always knew I was writing a feminist novel. Um, like that is the mm -hmm. angle, um, that is the lens through which I see the world. I'm always thinking about um, power structures. I'm always thinking about gender. I'm always thinking about the patriarchy. Um, so that's, that's the way I'm going to see the world and that's what's going to come out onto the page. Um, but I was, delighted that this could qualify as horror. And I think that's because Creature has such a cool, um, very, very smart, um, expansive um, definition of horror. Um, and they, they kind of mention in their description of who they are, that it might be like the monster in the closet, but it also might be like the monster next to you in bed, the monster under the bed. And I, I think for a while I was thinking like, oh, oh, that makes sense why Edendale would qualify because um, Lyle is like the monster in the bed, like very literally. And then I started thinking more about it. And, and I don't know if he's the monster in the bed. I think like the monster under the bed for all of them are like the power structures um, that they're dealing with. And like Lyle is also haunted by the patriarchy. Um, he is so trying so hard to be a good partner um but the ways he knows how to do that is through he thinks he's being helpful but he's being very controlling he wants to be some kind of hero or savior but but instead he's like he's like really um 
like closing in on Egypt. Um, and so I, I thought a lot, like I thought a lot while I was writing about the way that, um, that rape culture haunts us all. Um, sure. Well, yeah. and, and, and not just rape culture, but also, you know, power dynamics of your, your basic everyday relationship, you know, yeah. even, even when neither partner has a lot of power, mm-hmm. like, this is not a relationship where, you know, one partner is a billionaire and the other partner is, um, you know, I don't know, the young down and out actress. Um, you know, both of these people are both just trying to get started in their careers and struggling. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I thought a lot about that. Um, and I thought a lot about how, um, when I was feeling really uncomfortable moving to Los Angeles because of the power dynamic, it's, it's not like I was moving here to like be, uh, like the kept woman of some sort of billionaire, like, like the boyfriend I was journey, joining was a Hollywood assistant who was making minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was thinking about power um, not just current power, but like access to power and like like potential. And and I think when you look at these characters um, and think about like who has the potential to uh, like like who can grasp it, who who is it closer for? You can see that like Lyle is on the verge, perhaps, of being a wealthy man. Um, and like yes, he's supporting Egypt right now. Um, on what like eleven dollars an hour if he's an assistant, um, but that's still still really oppressing for her to not be able to say like, hey, I have a stake in this too. I'm an equal partner. Um, I'm I'm a person. I I paid for half the bed, and she's so fixated on the fact that she has not paid for half the bed. And really, it's probably a terrible bed. It's probably a very cheap bed. Um, it's not a nice bed. It doesn't matter <laughs> that much in the reality, but it, but it, but it matters for them in their in their tiny little rental. <laughs> I mean, I I also think that the dynamics of their relationship are interesting because um, because you don't like they're. I'm sorry, I'm being very inarticulate um, for a podcast, but I'm I'm thinking of this on the spot. I'm thinking about how. Lyle, you really feel for him in a lot of instances um, because Egypt is also just a terrible girlfriend um, in a lot of ways. And she it's, she makes herself into a victim in some ways. Um, you know, there is no cut and dry, you know, who is the monster and who is not. Um, it's more what society has the potential to drive people towards. Yes. Egypt, Egypt is tough. Um, and there are, there are many drafts where she's even tougher. And I, I, even I, you know, as, as her literary mother couldn't love her. Um, (laughs) but I think, um, a lot of Egypt is, I think she's very, very smart. Um, even though she, you know, there's a chapter where she says she doesn't like to read. Um, and that for me, I'm like, oh, you don't like to read. Um, but I think she's very smart and she's very manipulative and she knows um, she knows what she can do to obtain power. And she knows where um, a young broke woman's power comes from because she's been told that over and over. Um, like so many of us were told that over and over, like 
Um, she knows that in the eyes of the world, she is a body. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, well, you know, instead of, I think Megan um, reaches for power in such a different way than Egypt. Megan, um, Megan to me is like, second wave power suit feminism she's like no i i can do it like i don't i'm in control like i and and egypt is like no if i can seize power through my body i'm i'm gonna do that because that seems like the way i can get the most is is how i think of the difference between the two of them and and that is why egypt is so unappealing sometimes as a person um but i i think she's just doing what she's been taught and what like the kind of the broader lesson is for so many of us sure yeah, yeah. definitely um i want to i want to ask you about the title of the novel um so edendale is a it's an historic neighborhood in los angeles um that kind of encapsulated parts of silver lake and echo park um at one time and it's obvious, you know, just from reading the book that this is where they live. So on on one hand, you know, the title clearly comes from there. But I guess I'm curious why um, this particular name appealed to you instead of uh, modern day neighborhood names. Yeah, I, I think the, the very first answer to that, there's so many answers to that. The very first one is that I'm a writer and I like beautiful words um, and it is a beautiful word. Um, and, and the second answer to that is that I am a writer and a thinker, and I think a lot about, um, like symbolism and what words might make people think of. And I'm like, oh, the word Eden is in the old name for this neighborhood. How perfect for me. Um, I'm going to take this for my story. And then, and then the third reason relates to like me as a writer, um, and, and what I think I should and be writing about. Um, I didn't live in Echo Park for very long. Um, I lived there for like nine months and I was a subletter. Uh, I lived in Silver Lake a little bit too, but I felt like when I realized that the novel, like as, as that appeared as the setting, um, my first reaction was like, wow, I feel like I, this is the place where I've lived for like the shortest amount of, like I've lived in other places where for such longer stretches and I feel like I don't own this place at all. It's not mine to write about. Um, so my first reaction was to do just like a ton of research um, about the history of the East Side of like Echo Park, Silver Lake and Los Feliz. Um, I have books about these neighborhoods. Um, I, I know a lot about them now. And then, and, then, and then try to incorporate all of this stuff I know about, about this part of Los Angeles's like rich history and culture. <laughs> try to incorporate it into this tiny, tiny book. Um, and so the book was bloated for a bit with um, me trying to make sure that I wasn't um, like co-opting a neighborhood for my art unfairly. Um, and then I realized like, oh, that's it. I'm telling like such a quiet story, quiet. Mm-hmm. I'm, telling, um, I'm telling a small, narrow story and it's really the house. Um, and, and I really need to focus on the characters. So that stuff kind of fell away. And I thought like, I, I shouldn't call it Echo Park. It's not quite Echo Park. It's, it's my Echo Park. Um, a lot of it was written, or a lot of the stuff that still remains in the book was written from New York when I was kind of like in in my apartment with like snow outside the windows, just like dreaming of Los Angeles. So it has a little bit more of a dreamy quality um, than I think um, 
is correct. So I, I felt like I couldn't call it Echo Park or Silver Lake and it, it just didn't seem fair. Um, and plus it's a beautiful word. And plus it feels like it connects thematically. And if I were like a 10th grade English teacher, I could assign a great essay on like, <laughs> why is this book called Edendale? Right. So I wanted to help out any like a 10th grade English teachers who might be assigning my book someday. <laughs> <laughs> because they should at some point. Um, no, I, I agree that I, after I read it, I was, I was curious about this and um, thinking to myself, well, the word Eden is so um, provocative in this particular sense, because this is probably a place where these young people these young characters in your novel flocked to in order to try to build this idealized life that they imagined in their childhood. And um, the reality of that is crashing down around them, um, both ecologically as well as um, socially yeah. uh, throughout, throughout the whole novel. Absolutely. Uh, For so uh, long, it was a working title too, because I had a reaction that it felt a little on the nose. Um, but I have learned that when I have that reaction, it usually means that it's just clear and I, and I tend to <laughs> want to obscure meaning. Um, so I, for a while I was like expecting someone to come along and tell me I should change it. And that's also why it's the title because no one told me to change it. <laughs> you know, it, that's, you know, that's the biggest thing for a title. I think if everyone just <laughs> accepts it as what it is, then I think you've got it. You landed on it. I should mention that I think devotion is a really excellent title. <laughs> um, and that if there are listeners who haven't read devotion, which has been out for about a year, right, Madeline? Yeah, it came out um, last August. I highly recommend it, especially if you're interested in sex and power, like we are talking about and money. Um, so I, I highly recommend devotion also especially if you want to explore um larger amounts of money than Edendale explores <laughs> thank, thank you Jacqueline yeah devotion um the title for for mine I didn't have a title until the deadline they were basically like okay we have to have a title today what is it <laughs> so I had a really hard time with that one well it's great Thank you. It was my agent's idea for the record. I didn't, I didn't even come up with it because I couldn't. I was so stuck. I just couldn't do it. Just consumed with anxiety about it. Um, Maddie, do we have time for maybe one more question? Yeah, let's uh, keep going. I'm enjoying okay, the conversation. Great. I was here to signal that we're on our way to the end of the episode. Cool. Um, so Jacqueline and I actually, we work together in Los Angeles. We teach creative writing to children and teenagers. And so I'd love to just chat about that for a minute and hear um, you know, how and when you started writing. Did you start writing as a child? And maybe what are some of your earliest writing memories? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I've, been, I've been writing out loud and on paper for a really long time. Um, I had to grapple with the fact that I was considered like the family liar for a really long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe becoming a fiction writer is like my, my big excuse for the fact that I, I don't always stick to the truth. It's my outlet for all of the lies that I want to tell. Um, 
but yeah, I wrote really young um, and I read a ton. I'm a huge reader. Um, I'm a huge um, rereader. Um, I have two reading modes. I'm either like binging a book or I'm reading it for like the seventh time and like transcribing it and like reverse outlining it. And I use, so I have like piles of books on my desk whenever I'm writing and I, whenever I can't think of what should happen, I'll be flipping through and trying to figure out what other smarter people did. Um, so I wrote really young, but I, I never really thought of becoming a writer as a career. I would always come up with little career plans for myself. Like I'll be, um, you know, a doctor who writes at night and then I'll sell a, a novel and it will do so well that I'll quit being a doctor. I remember like thinking stuff like that as a child. Um, and then in college, I met people who just like flat out wanted to be writers and I was astounded. And I thought like, well, then I can do it too. Like I didn't know you could just go for it. Um, and then after college, I realized that like a lot of them had trust funds. <laughs> right. And then you realize that, oh, you, you can't, you do need to do something else. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've always been an enormous writer. Um, or not an enormous writer. I've been an enormous reader, and I think my writing kind of comes from that. When I when I fill up enough of, with enough reading, then like writing comes out very often. I had the same childhood experience in that you know I I wouldn't say I wanted to be a writer. I would I wanted to be like an actress. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be something that was going to get me super famous, and the writing was always going to come on the side. Um, and then I, I realized oh, I. I Fame is terrible, right? I don't. I don't want to be famous anymore. Under, <laughs> in any capacity, really. I'm. I'm good with like quiet writer life. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I was always very secretive about it too. Um, my my parents rent out the house that um, I grew up in, and a renter found like in the back of my childhood closet that I'd like written a little contract with myself about how I was going to write a book. Um, by the time I turned like, I don't know, 16 and send it to like this many publishers, but it was secret. It belonged in the back of my closet. I couldn't tell anyone. Um, and I, I do still have that shame of like, I, I can't tell anyone that I write. Um, and I don't know where that comes from. I think deeper analysis is needed. I mean, I think the world, the world isn't always kind to artists, you know, historically. Not, not even just modern day society, but you know, so many artists have such terrible, terrible histories, had such a hard Maybe. time making their way through the world. I don't know. I feel I like agree. shame yeah. is, it's a sad but natural thing to feel. That's very cute though, in the back of your childhood <laughs> closet. It's very adorable. Yeah, I also think it, it's a little bit like audacious for me to say like, I've put my thoughts in this thing and now pay money for them. That kind of embarrasses me that I think people would be willing to pay for my little imaginations. Um, but I hope people are interested. Um, and I really hope people are interested in purchasing more copies of your book, I think, sorry, just to comment for one second. I think I have that too. I have that like, why would anyone care about my work? And then I also have the other, voice in my head saying like but your voice is more important than anybody else's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it's this terrible warring impulse and I, you find you have to listen to neither of them in order to get any work done at all absolutely um 
Well, thank you so much for having us, Maddie. Um, yes, thank really you. Fun. Thank you both. This was a delightful conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to picking up a copy of Edendale because it sounds right up my alley. Um, and I hope our listeners feel the same way. Yes. Thank you. All right. It's well, great. is there anything else you want to say before we say our goodbyes and return to our separate living rooms? <laughs> no, just thank you so much. Um, this has been delightful. All right. Thank you both. Um, You've been listening to Skylit. I'm Maddie Gobo, your host, signing off. Thanks again to our guests, Jacqueline Stolos and Madeline Stevens. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.